Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. Generally speaking, your results are a direct mirror of how you've been thinking most of the time. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life podcast. This is your host, Krista Bigler, private practice integrative nutritionist, helping people across the U.S. reverse digestive issues, eczema, and autoimmunity via phone and video consult. To learn more, visit lessstressednutrition.com. Now, on to the show. Okay, today on The Less Stress Life, we have Dr. John Chubek, who is a board-certified general surgery and cardiovascular surgeon who received his MD from Rutgers University. His passion is to assist his patients with weight management, so smoking cessation, personal development, and academic achievement through figuring out how to set actionable, attainable goals, which honestly is a... Uh, kind of a fleeting thing for a, for a lot of us. He is also the author of the self-help book, Make Your Own Damn Cheese, and the founder of Chubuck Education, which offers programs to help people achieve their personal excellence. Welcome, Dr. Chubuck. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I was going to, I saw you on camera before we started recording, and I was going to ask you if you had left surgery and you were in scrubs, and I thought, I'm pretty sure he's still I'm pretty sure he's still working, but I do love when people follow their passions. And so I'm kind of just curious about the backside of the, a surgeon writing um, kind of inspirational books. Like I see a little bit of a relationship, but where did this come from and why did you start that? Well, you know, I've, um, I came from a medical family. My father was a, was a doctor, he was an OBGYN. My mother was a nurse. And um, so that was sort of um, in my mind from a very young age. And I had a very sort of long, rigorous academic uh, journey to becoming an open heart surgeon. I started, I I tell everybody I started school at age three and I finished at 33. And uh, so that was a long road of formal education. So education was something that was very near and dear to my heart. And then the first six years I was in practice, I was doing only open heart surgery here here in New Jersey, doing triple and quadruple bypasses and valve replacements and all that kind of thing. And then with some changes that were occurring in medicine at that time and and the advancement of minimally invasive treatment of of cardiac disease with angioplasty and stents and all of those things that that are done by cardiologists, which I'm not a cardiologist, I'm a cardiac surgeon, the the volume of, of surgical cases went way down. And um, there were other issues with reimbursement and and so on and so forth. So I was looking for something, you know, to add to my practice. And I became familiar with with 
office-based, laser-based treatment for, for vein disease, varicose veins and, and things like that. So I started in that field and, and that took off. And over time, I phased out of open heart surgery. And now I, I specialize only in venous disease, office-based venous disease. But in the meantime, as I developed my practice and um, had a little bit more time, not doing the, the big operations in the hospital and the emergency work and working weekends and nights and all of that, I had time to reflect on my educational background and all that I had learned. And I just wanted to give back. So I, I had the time and I had the desire and I started to think about my education. And the first book I, I wrote was a book for academic excellence, you know, tips and, and, and advice for, for younger people in school. And I became more and more involved in this field of personal development. And that's how basically I wound up writing the second book called Make Your Own Damn Cheese, which is really a book that can be applied to absolutely any aspect of, of your life. And that's become a real labor of love. And it's become, you know, more and more um, uh, time consuming as I'm educating more people and spending more time on programs like yours and lecturing and so forth. So that's kind of the background and ho how it all happened. There was no great master plan in the beginning, I can assure you, but organically, this is where I've ended up and I'm, and I'm very, very happy where I am. Mm -hmm. And it gives your life a little bit of balance. I think we could talk on about this, but it's nice to have a little bit of two things, right? It's good to really be uh, into like in the, in the trenches of personal development because it helps keep you kind of refreshed and an awesome doctor in the office, I think probably. That so, does. It, it, the two the two feed each other, and it's a nice balance, as you say. It really is. Mm -hmm. So I have not read Who Moved My Cheese, but is this a play on Who Moved My Cheese to make your own damn cheese? And by the way, I did read the synopsis, and it's a story, right? Says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The the answer is yes. I mean, it's it's sort of you know Who Moved My Cheese was written by another physician named Spencer Johnson, who's unfortunately no longer living. Um, but I read his book at that very critical point in my life about uh, 15 years ago when I was still doing open heart surgery. And, um, you know, it wasn't all it was cracked up to be for me. And I was, I was, you know, although professionally quite successful, very successful in that field, I was just unfulfilled and I was unhappy with the amount of time I was spending in the hospital and away from my family and so forth. And Spencer Johnson's book, Who Moved My Cheese, which is one of the great, great worldwide all-time uh, bestsellers, talked about what happens when the cheese has been taken from your corner of the maze and sort of disappears. What do you do then? Should you stay in that corner of the maze waiting for the cheese to reappear or should you go out and traverse the maze looking you know, in new corners and in new areas to see if you can find more cheese? And, um, so it was, it came to me at a critical time when I was making that decision, should I leave cardiac surgery or move into a new field? And it gave me the courage to do that. And so I was very, um, moved and influenced by the book. And then following that, I read many, many, many books and attended seminars and so on and so forth. And personal development became very knowledgeable in the space. And I got to a point where I felt I had something to add to the conversation and I thought it would be nice to sort of tip my hat to Spencer Johnson and use kind of the same rubric that he had used of these mice living in a maze um, to write, make your own damn cheese. And, and um, that's how 
that's how it all happened. Okay. So I think this is a great segue into, you know, one of the things that you're passionate about essentially is helping people get to their goals. Because at the end of the day, in a lot of fields, including your field, I'm, gu- I'm guessing you have consults in your office with your patients and you see, and you talk about weight management, soaking cessation. And I know this influences what you're doing in your practice on the back end. And so you're, you're constantly recommending things for uh, goals for clients, right? But the issue is getting there. And so I think I'm guessing that's part of where this feeds in. But my point is, um, there are some things that prevent people from achieving their goals. And you said you have something to add to that. So you're using these mazes. So Uh, What are some of the mental mazes that really prevent people from achieving their goals? Like what are the barriers or things standing in their way that you see most commonly or that you identify? Right. Well, it's a great question. I mean, the the short answer is that the mental mazes, the mental impediments are almost everything in terms of what is driving our behavior, what both successful and unsuccessful, what's holding us back and what's also propelling us forward. It's it's all habitual behavior generally that we can look at the results in our lives and then look back at how we think. And the thinking is always behind the actions, which always leads to the results. So we in, in the book, Make Your Own Damn Cheese, I talk about and I show you with a very simple but powerful diagram. We call it the mind mouse. It's based on something called the stick man diagram. And basically, it shows you how the, how the mind is broken up into three areas, the conscious mind, the subconscious mind, and the superconscious mind. But to keep it simple for the purposes of today's discussion, we can talk about the conscious mind, which is our thinking mind, and the subconscious mind, which is the non-thinking mind, and it's also known as the emotional mind. So, so much of what we do in terms of our daily behaviors, which which dictate our results, is based on our beliefs that we call the paradigms, the various paradigms that are rooted in our subconscious mind. And those paradigms can also be called our self-concept. How do I see myself in the world? What role do I see myself playing? Am I a smoker? Am I a drinker? Am I an overeater? Am I a cardiac surgeon? Am I a podcast host? How do I see myself? Who do I really believe that I am in terms of the ideas that I've fallen in love and fallen in love with? These are the ideas that are very comfortably suited and seated in, in my subconscious mind. Some of them are good beliefs and some of them are not so good beliefs and can be very destructive. Um, So my strong belief is that for all of us in the various aspects of our lives, these paradigms or subconscious belief systems are really responsible for just about everything we see in our life in terms of our results. It's your identity, right? It is. It is. Uh, It's so fun. I feel like I interview a lot of doctors that have gone into different spaces. And there was one a while back talking, we had a one and two part about anxiety. And he talked a lot about how you identify, do you identify as I have this condition or do I have this thing or, or actually as anxious is, is the term he used Do I identify as anxious or is it just something like, this is just how it is. Like this is an increase of stress hormones and I'm going to decrease the stress hormones. So he became very kind of pragmatic or 
really surgical because <laughs> he was also right. a surgeon. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So it's so very surgical about it, right? Like, let's step back and linearly put this together. And here's what the real issue is. And so how do we shift our identity? And I know he's done some other things um, like in workman's comp situation. Do And I just think this is an interesting concept. It was after the interview, I was talking to someone else I know who had heard him as part of her work seminars. And she said he did something on the injured uh client or the uh, re recovering client. And those are two different ways to identify, like, am I injured and perpetually injured? Or am I recovering and on the road to recovery? And so anyway, so it's just those are the things I think about as we talk about sort of how I love how you say it. it's good for us to all step back. If you were writing a resume, and you had to pick out like the three things at the top, how are you identifying yourself? Me personally? Yeah, well, I just, it's kind of rhetorical, but just yeah. in general, yeah, like how do you identify yourself? So in yeah. you talked about some things that are not so positive. So how do you see the not so positive uh, identities kind of manifesting in people? Well, I think that that's pretty straightforward. In fact, it's not, it's not difficult. You look at the results. The results never lie. Um, you know, again, I'm not a, I'm not a religious person and nor am I any kind of a biblical scholar by any means, but I do think a lot of these old scriptures from all corners of the world have, have some powerful, um, lessons in them. And one of, one of the, you know, quotations that I like is that, you know, by their fruits, you shall know them. You know, if you, if you look at someone's results, it tells you a lot, almost everything about how they've been thinking. In other words, if I see a new consultation, in fact, before we before we got on today, I just saw a new consultation. Now, this patient doesn't fall in that category. But if I see a new a new patient walk down the hallway in my office who's 450 pounds, and I've never met the person before, but I can, as a, as a professional and even as a layperson, I can make a lot of assumptions about how that person has been thinking by their results. You know, I know how they feel about exercise. I know how they feel about food to a certain extent. I know what their diet is made up of. What, whether they are honest about it with me or not is a different subject. I mean, many patients like that will tell you, I, I don't eat, you know, and this and that. And I, I do this, I do that. But I know that that, that person who, who comes to us at 450 pounds, there's probably a lot of emotional stuff going on, psychological stuff going on. I can almost bet you my bottom dollar that a lot of those feelings go back to their childhood, you know, what went on in the home, et cetera. So they're, the, the results are always um, indicative of the thinking. Now that goes to your weight, it goes to your bank account, it goes to your profession, it goes to your educational status, the level of school that you went to, and it's not a judgment. You can have nothing, you know, you can have nothing in the bank. It's not, a, that doesn't make you a good or a bad person. But money, for example, is an easy thing to look at because you can count it. You know, it's just say, well, let's count. How much do you have? Do you have any? No, I don't. Do you have a lot? Yeah, I do. Now, that's not a judgment in terms of your value as a human being, but it's a financial judgment. And it, it reflects how you've been thinking about saving, right? Because you, you could have someone who makes a million dollars a year, earns a million dollars a year, has nothing in the bank. So we know something about how they think about earning, and we know something about how they think about saving. They're two different subjects, two different paradigms, because some of us grew up in families that made very little money but did a lot of saving. Others of us grew up in families that made a lot of money and never thought about saving. So the results that you see in your life will always reflect how you've been thinking about that. And most people don't know that. 
Most people don't know that. They think that their their results are by luck or by chance, good luck, bad luck, the position I was in, etc. But in fact, I believe, it's my personal belief, I'm sure there are people who would argue with me, which is fine. But generally speaking, your results are a direct mirror of how you've been thinking most of the time. Cool. I like that because that's a hard thing to say and it's something to reflect on quite a bit. So you're saying you become what you think about or your results are a result of what you think about. So if someone's trying to kind of recalibrate or set a new maze or a new path, like a new path down their maze, um, what are some of the words or behaviors that someone should adopt to kind of change not only their philosophy, but their trajectory? Well, I think you have to begin with an understanding of how powerful your mind is and how your thinking mind, the conscious mind, programs the subconscious mind so that we have to know that whatever we're thinking about over and over and over again will percolate through what we call the psychic barrier, which is a barrier that can that um, separates the conscious mind from the subconscious mind. And that if there's something that we see in our results, let's say our, our, our weight or our smoking habits, okay? Let's say we're smoking. If you're smoking, your subconscious mind believes that I'm a smoker. That's what it knows. I am a smoker. I am a smoker. So, if you want to change that behavior, you can't change that through your conscious thinking mind only. You can't say, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to stop smoking. We all, we all know that most smokers in their conscious um, intellectual mind know that they shouldn't smoke and they don't want to smoke. The problem is that that, that thought has not yet been planted in the subconscious emotional mind, what the ancient Greeks called the heart. So they, they, another old old saying, from the, I, I guess from the scriptures, they say, um, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Not in his brain, not in his mind, but in his heart. That's the subconscious, the emotional mind. So the person says, I should stop, I should stop smoking, I should stop drinking, I should stop overeating. That's the intellectual conscious mind speaking. It's not the subconscious mind. When everybody goes to bed, that same person sneaks into the kitchen and starts eating chocolate cake in his pajamas when nobody's looking. But that's not the intellectual mind driving that behavior. It's the subconscious mind. It's the, it's the person I see myself as that is driving that behavior so I can maintain that overweight individual that I have become and that I've fallen in love with and that I've become comfortable with. The self-sabotage. The self-sabotage, correct. So why am I sabotaging myself? Why am I doing this to myself? Well, it doesn't, it's, it, it doesn't mean that you're uh, pathological or that there's self-loathing or hatred. But maybe it's as simple as, well, I grew up in a family where we were overeaters and I was overfed and that's how we showed love. And in our culture, we overate. And if I didn't eat my you know, grandmother's spaghetti and meatballs and I didn't get two or three servings, she... She accused me of not loving her and so on. Who knows? I mean, but there are a lot of those kinds of motivations that go way back that program the subconscious mind at a very, very young age. And those become our beliefs. You know, for example, the um, at prior to the age of about seven or eight, the thinking mind, the rational intellectual mind has not been yet developed. So all we are is a subconscious mind walking around wide open open to any suggestion that's put there, like a fertile garden, whatever you plant there will grow. So as a child, it's a very 
um, compromised position to be in depending on the environment you're in. If you're surrounded by heavy drinkers or heavy smokers or overeaters, for example, the likelihood is they're going to plant those ideas in your mind. And by the time your intellectual mind develops after the age of eight, it's too late to change those beliefs. So the Jesuits have known this for 400 years. They say, they've been saying for 400 years, give me the boy before the age of seven, and I'll show you the man for the rest of his life. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. It is interesting. That's what hard if, to change. Yeah, exactly. That is a, that's, it's very hard to make a decision. Um, I'm not saying it's hard to make the decision. It's hard to change programming when it's something innate that's become innate almost, right? Like it's, this is the path that's been paved for a long time. And I mean, you meant, you mentioned some really good things. We see this a lot. We talk about this a lot in dietetics, you know, when you are told you have to eat all the food on your plate, how does that manifest later on in life? It's a little different for everyone, right? Like there's many more things that affect that. But as you said, you see, like you see these same stories showing up and up again and again. Right. What did you say? Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say there's an old sort of sardonic joke by uh, Johnny Carson was famous for. He used to say when I was a kid, my mother would say to me, eat everything on your plate. You know, people uh, in other parts of the world are starving to death. He said, so I ate everything on my plate and the people in the other parts of the world were still starving to death. Mm, You know, what she put the weight of the world on my shoulders to finish everything on my plate. And now here I'm obese and I didn't really do anything to help those starving people. Now, his mother's intentions were were good, um, not to be wasteful and to be appreciative and so on and so forth. But on the other hand, she didn't really know what she was doing. So that's one of the things we have to do is let go of any anger or um, blame that we want to put on those people around us who who were heavily responsible for programming our belief systems. At the same time, we have to give credit to them where they, where credit is due. They, they have planted a lot of good seeds that grew to make us, you know, educated, successful, whatever it is. So those are things that they can take, they can take credit for, but to try to blame them for the things that they have responsibility for, quote unquote, in terms of the results we don't like, it's too late for that. We have to take responsibility for ourselves. And again, I think this Understanding how the mind is structured and how it functions is such a powerful tool where you can say to yourself, oh, I get it now. So if I start thinking differently about food, if I start thinking differently about alcohol, if I start thinking differently about my educational level, I can eventually reprogram my subconscious mind, overwrite that old what I like to call virus code, that old bad code that's in the hard drive of this computer, that software that I don't want to run anymore. And I can replace it over time by writing tons and tons and tons of good new code because you can't ever, you can never unfortunately erase the old hard drive. Mm -hmm. That old code is always going to be there. But what we have to do through positive thinking and through self affirmations and auto suggestion and reading and education and, and spending more time with the right people overwhelm that old program with a new program, which is much more robust, much more updated, much more voluminous, and then we'll start to see our behaviors change. You said something that you didn't directly say right there that I think is important. I believe you said, essentially, we it's not your fault, and we're not blaming it on someone else. We're just being aware of what the reality was, and we're making a choice 
to change and create a new reality, essentially. Because I think that's a that's a that's something people want to back away. Like we want to either blame or we want to say, well, this is how it is. But we're not blaming. We're just accepting and assessing and then making uh, a choice to move in a different direction. Right, because you can blame all you want, but it won't be helpful. I mean, people love and we all do this. I mean, you know, again, I work I'm working on this stuff just like everybody else. I mean, it's easier to lecture on than to do. But, you know, people like to blame the government. They like to blame their parents. They like to blame the politicians. They like to blame taxes. They like to blame, you know, the the, the big, big pharma. They like to blame uh, the big corporations, Coca-Cola, McDonald's. That's great. But ultimately, you better make sure that you're on the list of people that you're blaming, because ultimately, you're the only one who can change any of that. Yeah, I mean, maybe McDonald's is doing a bad job by serving what they do, and Coca-Cola is doing a bad job by offering their soft drinks. But they're not going to go away. So only you can decide, I'm not going to drink Coca-Cola or Diet Coke for that matter. You know, I'm going to switch to, you know, water. Um, I'm not going to go where those people go and think the way that they think and behave the way that they, they behave. But I've been doing that for many years, so it's going to be really hard to change that thinking, change that program, change those paradigms and start moving in a new direction. But we have to take responsibility for ourselves. And it's easier when you have a, a, a tool or a system like the one that I, I present in the book, um, because then you have, you have a real set of skills that you can work with as opposed to sort of um, being at, like a ship at sea with no sail and no rudder and just kind of drifting and hoping to wash up into some you know, glorious port somewhere. It's, it's much more likely that if you don't have a sail and you don't have a rudder and you don't have a motor, you're probably just going to wash up onto the rocks. So what I try to do in the book is, is to give people some real tools where they can take back control of their mind and take back control of the thinking and then reprogram that subconscious hard drive to, to drive new results. I think this is a good place where someone could pause the recording, pause the podcast and have a reflection moment and say, what is something that I have been blaming something on um, that I need to reframe my thinking about? And you're right, a tangible roadmap is nice. A tangible plan is very nice. It helps you kind of get out of a stuck thinking mindset, right? Because that's where people are drifting sometimes or they are stuck. And then like, life is not awesome when you're kind of, and we all have funks. We all have funks and we sort of have to dig back into sort of the personal development to be somewhat re-inspired or reinvigorated almost. So I agree totally. You have to study the personal development. I, I you know, I, I teach this stuff now. But I study every day. I'm a student and I, I study it every day. I read and I, you know, I'm involved in, in uh, programs with other, with other mentors and so forth. It's just like exercise or, you know, uh, you know training and nutrition. It's, if you, you can think all you want about having, you know, a, a, a really strong core. But if you don't do the core exercises every day or every other day, um, all the thinking in the world's not not going to, to make that a reality. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I mentioned this periodically throughout this podcast. The podcast is called The Less Stress Life, not because I was some kind of stress expert or any kind of expert on stress. It was just a synonym for inflammation. And I wanted to talk more about that. And really by default, because we accidentally, but I do really enjoy what the physiology is, what physiology is happening in the body when people increase stress. So because I have to talk about it all the time with clients, 
because we can't get away from this topic, I've had to adopt a lot of things, right? And so no one like is just naturally an expert. I did not understand how stressed I was until I started talking about it and practicing what I preached. And so I only tell you that to just show that we're all a little, like we're all human. Like no one is really better than something. Like we're all just a little bit different spots in our journey or in the book. Right. And so, um, so honestly, sometimes, you know, they say you really know something when you can teach it. Sometimes you're teaching something and that's when you're also applying it, um, or allowed to apply it or allowed to be, uh, you know, really in, in the trenches of it. So, right. Anyway, um, so, you know, sometimes I've mentioned that we have just a couple emotions. And of course, there's many more, but we can boil a lot of things down to happiness and fear. You say happiness and satisfaction are not the same thing. So what is that about? Why should we always be happy, but never satisfied? Well, I think we should always be happy because it's good to be happy better than being depressed. So that part's easy, right? Um, It doesn't mean that we can always be happy, but I think it's, that's a very, um, admirable, um, goal to have, to, to try to be happy every day, happy in our lives, happy in our relationships, happy in our work and so on and so forth. Um, but happiness and satisfaction are often used interchangeably and synonymously. Um, but I think that there's a subtle, but very important difference between them on my, um, uh, office wall next to my desk, I have sort of a cork board there and, and some photos of some inspirational people, including Alexander Graham Bell and um, uh, Thomas Edison and uh, Henry Ford and the Wright brothers and people like that. And when you think about just those few people that I mentioned, it's quite extraordinary. I mean, Alexander Graham Bell brought us the telephone and Henry Ford brought affordable mass-produced automobiles to America and then, you know, to the world. The um, Edison brought electric light to um, the world. And the Wright brothers brought aviation and, and travel by air to the world. Now, I've read and studied a lot about all of those, those people. I've read um, biographies and autobiographies and watched um, uh, documentaries and so on and so forth. I've never read anything anywhere to read that any of them were depressed or unhappy by nature. Now, there are other brilliant people throughout history, as we know, who have been. But they, but as far as I know, these five have not been or were not unhappy or depressed. On the other hand, they must have been dissatisfied. I mean, majorly dissatisfied. The Wright brothers were two bicycle repairmen from Dayton, Ohio. They had no formal education between, uh, uh, beyond high school. They certainly weren't uh, aviation or aeronautical engineers. There was no aeronautical engineering school. So, but they were not satisfied with the modes of transportation which existed, which were many. There was horse and buggy. There was horseback. There were automobiles already. There were ships and boats and uh, trains. And there were lots of ways to get around. But somehow they became obsessed, they had this magnificent obsession with air travel. And they risked their lives trying to prove that human beings could fly in mechanized flying machines. So dissatisfaction is a creative state. Okay. Oh, Edison. I like right? that. Dissatisfaction is a creative state. That's interesting. Exactly. Exactly. Depression is not. De- de- depression is a is a is a slowed state, and so on and so forth. Dis- uh, 
dissatisfaction. So if you have a happy, dissatisfied person, you've got a really great combination. Somebody who's loving to get into the laboratory every day and saying, could we create this talking machine or mm-hmm. can we get this light bulb to finally work? They, they say, I mean, there are all these stories, who knows how many of them are true, but they're good for, for teaching purposes anyway. Anecdotally, they say that Thomas, uh, Thomas Edison tried something like 10,000 different filaments in the electric light bulb before he found something that burned brightly enough and long enough without burning out and breaking and, and or was too dim before he found, I guess it was the carbon impregnated, impregnated wire or something like that that finally worked as for, for the incandescent bulb. So people said, you know, didn't you, um, you know, get depressed? Didn't you get uh, disheartened with all of these failed experiments and so forth? And he said, you know, basically his answer was, not really. I, you know, I, I didn't see myself as failing. I proved 10,000 ways that didn't work. And I documented that for other people in case they were going to try what I tried if I'd never figured it out. At least I could document. Don't use horsehair. Don't use this. Don't use, you know, cotton. Don't use... So I felt like I was making progress and um, I was moving closer and closer to my goal. But he was he, he was not satisfied with candlelight and oil lamps and things like that that were, you know, smelly and dirty and relatively expensive and can cause fires and burn cities and things like that. So this dissatisfaction with light as it was in his lifetime up until that point put him in an incredibly creative state and eventually he was successful and we're all the beneficiaries of that of that dissatisfaction never thought about it like that and i like the perspective that you know when we're always trying to achieve something else or we're always trying to achieve you know something a little bit better and i think that also sometimes maybe i don't know if this is the right way to say it but sometimes it's personality type you know when we do these personality quizzes sometimes some people are just like they just want to keep improving upon a system. Um, and I, I totally, uh, resonate with that quite a bit, but let's say someone you mentioned, like, it's important for everyone to be happy. So that's something we can all agree on. So if we wanted to give people some tangible things that they can start being more happy today, what are some daily habits to make someone more positive? Well, I think there, there are a lot of them. I think that, you know, none of them may be earth shattering for your listeners, but it's, it's always worthwhile to go through them again. Um, I believe very strongly that repetition is the first corollary of um, of education um, and learning. So, number one, I think the the moment you open your eyes in the morning and you're still lying in bed, I think um, the the idea of a of a gratitude exercise is extremely helpful and extremely healthy. That you lie there before getting up and you say, you know. Um, to whomever you're speaking, thank God or thank my lucky stars or thank goodness or whatever you want to say that I have woken up again today, that I'm alive, that I have my health to whatever extent your health is at that time. There's always somebody who could be worse off, that I have a roof over my head, that I have a pillow under my head and so on and so forth. So I think starting with a gratitude exercise is extremely, extremely important. And then I... I like to go into a period every morning of what I call silent solitude. After I've gotten up and out of bed, I'll sit quietly in a room and I'll just listen to my inner voice. And I think that that's a very powerful exercise, probably not something that too many people do. It's different than meditation, by the way, although I think meditation is a valuable exercise in itself. 
meditation tends to be more of a, a process of trying to quiet the mind, whereas the silent solitude exercise that I go through is an opportunity to listen to the mind, um, which is a fascinating thing. And it's very difficult for a lot of people, especially when they first begin, because um, not everything that your inner voice has to say is always so pleasant. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, <laughs> fighting going on in there at times. So I think that's a, a powerful thing to do. And then following that as a morning routine, I like to work in a journal and start to write down some ideas and and set some goals. And I think goal setting is a very important, important process in, in moving forward and personal development and in growth. And um, so that those three things are a great way to get started and get the mind sort of tuned up for the day. And then throughout the day, I like the idea of these positive af- um, affirmations. The most powerful of all um, is I like myself. I like myself. Mm-hmm. And if you can get there, I love myself. I love myself. I love myself and I love my work. You know, I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for my job. I'm grateful for the amazing country that I live in. I'm grateful for freedom. I'm grateful for all of these opportunities, whatever it is that you're grateful for, they don't have, you don't have to, re- it's not a mantra. You don't have to repeat what I'm saying. You have your own beliefs and, and feelings, but positive things feed your, feed your subconscious, subconscious mind as much positive information as you possibly can. And you're, you're well on your way to a better day. And I think a much more fruitful and fulfilling life. Cool. I'm going to recap it for our listeners, because sometimes when you're driving, you didn't hear everything you wanted to hear from that. So Dr. Chubak said, start your day with gratitude, because when you are grateful, it's pretty impossible to be really unhappy. Also, silent solitude, which I think is cool, because you said it's meditation is just about thoughts coming in and non-judgmentally kind of pushing them aside, quieting the mind, whereas silent solitude is listening to your mind. And sometimes we don't have the opportunity to do that. I mean, I feel like I do that when I wash the dishes in. That's like my favorite. Now that all my kids are in school, it's my favorite part of the day, the morning. I'm like silent. That is like, that is the practice. Silent solitude, just doing things and puttering around the house. I literally am thinking in that way, but you can do this in so many ways. So I just liked how you talked about the difference between meditation, listening to what's going on in the brain, because often we don't have a chance to listen to it because our life is noisy versus meditation, which is quieting the brain. And then finally journaling, because really a lot of great things come from journaling. And I think you can do that so many ways. And then during the day, I loved how you said positive affirmations. And the most valuable one was to say, I like myself and then turn it into, I love myself. And I, I just think there's a lot of, that was really, that like put a little smile on my face. So that was great. (laughs) So Dr. Chubak, where can people find you online? They can find me at um, ChewbackEducation.com, which is um, my education company where we have some resources there um, in terms of, uh, you know, weight loss um, resources, educational resources, smoking cessation. And there'll be information coming up about uh, hopefully some upcoming future seminars and my books are there and things like that. And uh, everybody can follow me on um, Instagram at John Chewback MD or in Facebook at uh, Chewback Education, uh, yes, on Facebook. So those are the places for this, for this area. And, and then, of course, anybody 
in in need of varicose vein work, we have chewbacmedical.com. That's it. That's the other limb of things. Just in case. Just in <laughs> case. You never know. Yeah, you never know. You never know. It's a big, it's actually a pretty serious big thing. Um, it's C-H-U-B-A-C-K. Hey, I got a question. I'm on your website and you're, um, there's a little logo and it's an elephant. And why is it an elephant? Oh, that's a great question. Thanks so much for asking. I designed that logo, in fact. Well, one of my favorite things, you know, having taken on some big things in my life, like, you know, becoming a cardiovascular surgeon, that, that was a big, that was a big, big um, choice and decision that I made at a very early age, at the age of 18 or 19, when I, when I started uh, college. And I knew that it would be a 15 year road to become a cardiac surgeon. So it's sort of like, a decision like that is sort of like eating an elephant. So the old the old adage says, how do you eat an elephant? The answer is one bite at a time. So if you notice that elephant yeah. in my logo has a bite taken out of his back. So that is what we're all doing, you know, in personal development, that's a big elephant to eat. You're trying to get better. You're trying to grow as a human being. You're trying to be the best person you can be and the most productive and, and so on and so forth. It's a big undertaking. So don't be overwhelmed by it. Just take it one bite at a time, one uh, one book at a time, one silent solitude session at a time, one I like myself at a time, one whatever at a time. And over the course of time, they add up. They and, and then the point is that kind of positive thinking will indeed, without fail, because it's it's the law of how the mind works, will percolate through that psychic barrier and it will recede your subconscious mind and you will feel differently and you will behave differently and you will see better results in the areas that you you want to improve well dr Shubak, uh thank you so much for that i'm really glad i asked that question as well uh and here's a call to action for listeners i heard you say how do you need an elephant one bite at a time and i thought you know what it's gonna be an ominous text message that i'm gonna send to a couple of friends that i know are very overwhelmed right now because they have told me something's going on in their life i'm just gonna send that like little comment it's just gonna be a great little like when you're thinking of someone it's just a really nice thing to send that little comment over there so i hope you guys find someone you can send that to as well so dr trebek thanks for coming on today and talking to us about happy dissatisfaction and offering some new perspectives on uh goal setting it's my pleasure it's been a lot of fun one of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stress Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stress Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. thank my lucky stars or thank goodness or whatever you want to say that I have woken up again today, that I'm alive, that I have my health to whatever extent your health is at that time. There's always somebody who could be worse off, that I have a roof over my head, that I have a pillow under my head and so on and so forth. So I think starting with a gratitude exercise is extremely, extremely important. And then 
I, I like to go into a period every morning of what I call silent solitude. After I've gotten up and out of bed, I'll sit quietly in a room and I'll just listen to my inner voice. And I think that that's a very powerful exercise, probably not something that too many people do. It's different than meditation, by the way, although I think meditation is a valuable exercise in itself. Meditation tends to be more of a a process of trying to quiet the mind, whereas the silent solitude exercise that I go through is an opportunity to listen to the mind, um, which is a fascinating thing. And it's very difficult for a lot of people, especially when they first begin, because um, not everything that your inner voice has to say is always so pleasant. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, fighting going on in there at times. So I think that's a, a powerful thing to do. And then following that as a morning routine, I like to work in a journal and start to write down some ideas and and set some goals. And I think goal setting is a very important, important process in, in moving forward and personal development and in growth. And um, so that those three things are a great way to get started and get the mind sort of tuned up for the day. And then throughout the day, I like the idea of these positive um, affirmations. The most powerful of all um, is I like myself. I like myself. Mm -hmm. And if you can get there, I love myself. I love myself. I love myself and I love my work. You know, I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for my job. I'm grateful for the amazing country that I live in. I'm grateful for freedom. I'm grateful for all of these opportunities. Whatever it is that you're grateful for, they don't have, you don't have to, re- it's not a mantra. You don't have to repeat what I'm saying. You have your own beliefs and, and feelings. But positive things, feed your, feed your subconscious, subconscious mind as much positive information as you possibly can and you're you're well on your way to a better day and I think a much more fruitful and fulfilling life. Cool. I'm going to recap it for our listeners because sometimes when you're driving, you didn't hear everything you wanted to hear from that. So Dr. Chubak said, start your day with gratitude because when you are grateful, it's pretty impossible to be really unhappy. Also silent solitude, which I think is cool because you said it's meditation is just about thoughts coming in and non-judgmentally kind of pushing them aside, quieting the mind, whereas silent solitude is listening to your mind. And sometimes we don't have the opportunity to do that. I mean, I feel like I do that when I wash the dishes in. That's like my favorite. Now that all my kids are in school, it's my favorite part of the day, the morning. I'm like silent. That is like, that is the practice. Silent solitude, just doing things and puttering around the house. I literally am thinking in that way, but you can do this in so many ways. So I just liked how you talked about the difference between meditation, listening to what's going on in the brain, because often we don't have a chance to listen to it because our life is noisy versus meditation, which is quieting the brain. And then finally journaling, because really a lot of great things come from journaling. And I think you can do that so many ways. And then during the day, I loved how you said positive affirmations. And the most valuable one was to say, I like myself and then turn it into, I love myself. And I, I just think there's a lot of that was really that like put a little smile on my face. So that was great. <laughs> so Dr. Chubak, where can people find you online? They can find me at um, ChubakEducation.com, which is um, my education company where we have some resources there um, in terms of, uh, you know, weight loss um, resources, educational resources, smoking cessation. And there'll be information coming up about uh, hopefully some upcoming future seminars and my books are there and things like that. And uh, 
Everybody can follow me on um, Instagram at John Chubak MD or on Facebook at uh, Chubak Education. Uh, yes, on Facebook. So those are the places for this for this area. And, and then, of course, anybody in in need of varicose vein work, we have ChubakMedical.com. That's a, that's the other limb of things. Just in case. Just in <laughs> case. You never know. Yeah, you never know. You never know. It's a big. It's actually a pretty serious big thing. Um, it's C H U B A C K. Hey, I got a question. I'm on your website, and you're um, there's a little logo, and it's an elephant. And why is it an elephant? Oh, that's a great question. Thanks so much for asking. I designed that logo, in fact. Well, one of my favorite things, you know, having taken on some big things in my life, like, you know, becoming a cardiovascular surgeon, that, that was a big, that was a big, big um, choice and decision that I made at a very early age, at the age of 18 or 19, when I, when I started uh, college. And I knew that it would be a 15-year road to become a cardiac surgeon. So it's sort of like, a decision like that is sort of like eating an elephant. So the old the old adage says, how do you eat an elephant? The answer is one bite at a time. So if you notice that elephant yeah. in my logo has a bite taken out of his back. So that is what we're all doing, you know, in personal development, that's a big elephant to eat. You're trying to get better. You're trying to grow as a human being. You're trying to be the best person you can be and the most productive and, and so on and so forth. It's a big undertaking. So don't be overwhelmed by it. Just take it one bite at a time, one uh, one book at a time, one silent solitude session at a time, one I like myself at a time, one whatever at a time. And over the course of time, they add up. They and, and then the point is that kind of positive thinking will indeed, without fail, because it's it's the law of how the mind works, will percolate through that psychic barrier and it will recede your subconscious mind and you will feel differently and you will behave differently and you will see better results in the areas that you you want to improve well dr Schubach, uh thank you so much for that i'm really glad i asked that question as well uh and here's a call to action for listeners i heard you say how do you need an elephant one bite at a time and i thought you know what there's gonna be an ominous text message that i'm gonna send to a couple of friends that i know are very overwhelmed right now because they have told me something's going on in their life i'm just gonna send that like a little comment it's just gonna be a great little like when you're thinking of someone it's just a really nice thing to send that little comment over there so i hope you guys find someone you can send that to as well so dr trebek thanks for coming on today and talking to us about happy dissatisfaction and offering some new perspectives on uh goal setting it's my pleasure it's been a lot of fun one of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stress Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stress Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life, and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 